Chapter 10. Mrs. Dane was in the kitchen, watering down the rice wine and tossing this afternoon's leftovers into the vegetable stew I'd made for dinner. What is it, Lena? she asked impatiently. Yesterday's nightmare had bolstered my courage. I outstretched my hand, making a gesture for money. Mrs. Dane and scoffed. You've some nerve asking me for money. Why should I pay a thief? I didn't take my hand back. I'd been here for two months, and during that time, I'd more than made back whatever her shrimping boat was worth. She knew it. I knew it. The handle of her broom came crashing down toward my head. I saw it coming and dodged, but it still hit my shoulder. Pain shot up my collarbone, and I pressed my lips tight so I wouldn't cry out. The possibility that I might accidentally make a noise frightened me far more than Mrs. Dane's strikes. Thief that you are, you think anyone else would take you in? She jeered. Maybe I should sell you to the brothel, but who would want you with that ridiculous thing on your head? I clenched my fist to keep from reacting rashly. I needed to endure this just a while longer. My nails bit into my palms as I calmed myself. What do you need money for anyway? You've no home, no family. She closed the window shutters with a clatter. Now get out before I... Her rebuke was cut off by the sec sound of hooves countering to a stop. A horse neighed outside the door. Mrs. Dane sniffed and straightened her collar before opening the door. Seconds later, her back curved into a deep bow, her arms fluttering and her voice rising to an obsequious pitch. I didn't know she was capable of. Ah, welcome, welcome, sir. An imperial sentinel had entered the inn. My breath caught in my throat, and I quickly grabbed Mrs. Dane and Broom, and pretending to sweep while I moved closer to eavesdrop. Historically, sentinels were knights trained to battle demons, aiding the gods and driving them back into the holy mountains of fortitude. Now that such threats had supposedly been put to rest, sentinels protected the imperial family and kept the peace wherever they were stationed. Some trained all their lives for the honor. It was it was one of the few ways a poor man could change his fortune. This sentinel was young, but even then he was likely earning at least ten gold mockins a year, enough to have a few silvers in his pocket. What are you doing, Shiori? I scolded myself, fantasizing about robbing a sentinel. Lena, Mrs. Danon was yelling. Where are your manners? Fetch our new guest here some of your delicious soup and a cup of tea. I hurried to obey. When I returned, the sentinel was seated in the corner by the window, far from the other guests. He kept his helmet and armor on, but I would have recognized him as a sentinel, even if he'd worn rags. Like mine, he had the look, the stiff posture, the proud shoulders, chiseled from years of rigorous training, the solemn eyes, absent of mischief or cunning. I met a thousand just like them. Are you coming from Iro or Tazini Fortress? Mrs. Dane had asked, warming her tone to one that I had never heard before. She made a show of folding the hot towel she set on his table. Many soldiers have been gathering here, good for business, but not so good for Kiata, I'd gather. I'm passing by. Sentinel's response was curt, a sign he wanted to be left alone, but Mrs. Dane had chattered on. Making your way home, then? The Emperor has been searching for his children, allowed the Sentinel. He wasn't much of a conversationalist. I was asked to join the inquiry. The hairs on the back of my neck bristled. Ah, yes, Mrs. Dana pretended to sympathize. The poor princess and princesses. Well, she ha we haven't seen them. No news here. This is the sentinel already seemed to know. He removed a battered-looking book from his knapsack, opening it to deflect further questions from Mrs. Dana, and then he tilted his chin at, the, at his cup of tea, already empty. Lena, Mrs. Dana snapped before turning to attend to other customers. More tea! I poured quickly, wondering what had led an imperial sentinel to this far island in search of my brothers and me. Was there a way to tell him who I truly was? Could I trust him? He barely noticed me, his gaze trained on his book as he reached for the soup. While he drank, I peered over his shoulder. He wasn't reading. He was flipping through old drawings in a sketchbook. Some had little notes by them, but I couldn't see. It isn't polite to read over people's shoulders, he said, startling me. He set down his soup and looked up. At the sight of the bowl on my head, curiosity flicked over his face. I was used to the reaction and braced myself for a slew of questions I couldn't answer. They didn't come. 
You must be the cook, he said instead, gesturing at his bowl. Mrs. Dane wasn't exaggerating about your soup. It's exceptional. The flavor, the fish, even the radishes reminds me of home. I nodded, but I didn't really care what he thought of my soup. I wanted to ask him how my father was, how long he'd been looking for me, whether my stepmother was still at his side. Most of all, I wanted to scream, I'm Princess Giori. I wanted to shake him by the shoulders until he recognized me. I wanted to order him to take me home, but I did none of those things. I simply bowed my head and retreated to the kitchen. After all, who would believe that the Princess of Kiata was, was a serving girl in the middle of Tiani village with a wooden bowl stuck to her head, so poor that she could not afford a comb for her tangled hair or straw slippers to walk out in the fields? No one would, least of all this sentinel. You could ask him for money, a desperate voice inside me suggested. A silver coin is nothing to him. It'd be the world to you. I would gladly beg if it meant finding my brothers, even if it meant shedding that what little pride I had left. But begging would be futile. Mrs. Danon would see me and take the coin away. That little voice dug deeper, so you'll rob him. Yes, if that was what it took to find my brothers, I would do just about anything. Dusk took its time to arrive, with shadows falling over the inn and the burnished light of sunset filtering through the cracks in the narrow corridors. While everyone was eating dinner, I hauled my mop in a bucket up the creaky steps to the guest rooms to wash the floors and change the lantern candles. My last chores before I could take my own meal and end the day with sleep. I saved the sentinel's room for last. Mrs. Danon had given him the best chamber, which didn't mean much, only that he had a window that faced the water, a teapot that didn't leak, and a stool that wouldn't wobble when one sat on it. Usually I kept the door open while I worked, but tonight I closed it firmly. Gathering my courage, I began to search his room. The sentinel hadn't brought much. His cupboard was empty, and he'd kept his sword at his side, likely his money too, but I didn't need much, just enough to buy my passage south. On the clothing rack hung his bow. It looked expensive, carved with the finest birch and painted a deep, rich blue, but I wasn't foolish enough to try and sell a sentinel's weapons. His cloak, however, folded up neatly on his cot, was a different story. Sadly, it was more ragged and torn than it had looked. Holding in a sigh of frustration, I shoved my hands into its pockets, nothing inside. I spun, ready to give up until I saw he'd left behind his knapsack. In a shadowed corner, unexpected for a man who seemed so careful, Contents of the knapsack confirmed my judgment of his character. There was a gourd of water, a copper tinder box, a bundle of muslin with a fine bone needle and a knot of thread, extra woolen socks, and an excessive number of books. There were volumes on poetry and classical painting and history, and then, then there was the sketchbook I'd seen him with earlier, filled with drawings of mountains and crescent boats on a river and a little girl with pigtails holding a rabbit. The art was pleasing, but I was here for mockings, not paintings. Then, at the bottom, something soft. It was the slipper I'd been wearing when Raykama cursed me, the one I'd thrown to the sky after I thought I saw my brothers. The slipper was little more of a rag, yet I would have recognized it anywhere. The bright pink silk and finely embroidered cranes, the stains from grass and pe pebbled road. I held this last remnant of my past and wondered about the sentinel. How did he come across this? Curious to know more, I dug deeper into his bag. In one of the side pockets were two thin blocks of wood tied to hold something that was clearly important. I grabbed it. My fingers worked quickly, unraveling the cord between the blocks with the remains of a scroll. My brow furrowed with confusion. A letter in a London? I opened it wider, wishing I'd paid more attention to my language tutors. Unlike Kiata, whose mainland and many islands had been united for millennia, Alandi was an enormous country divided into dozens of contentious states. Our faiths and traditions overlapped in many ways, but that didn't mean I could read the language fluently. Thankfully, the message was simple. Your Excellency, four breaths appears an elegant solution, but I fear it is no longer necessary. Four breaths, I frowned. I'd heard of the poison before. Its recipe was a secret among only a handful of the most skilled assassins, highly prized because even its smell was noxious. 
putting its victims into a deep sleep. When ingested, though, it was deadly. Someone had once tried to send Rekama a sachet of incense laced with four breaths, but she detected it almost immediately, earning father's admiration. It smells sweet, she had taught my brothers and me. Like honey, assassins will always max mask the scent. And they use very small doses, for the poison leaves gold traces on the skin when inhaled and blackens the lips when drunk. Thinking back, it was no shock that a snake like Rikama had a talent for discerning poisons, if only we had known. I returned my attention to the letter. A section of the middle was ripped out, dried blood staining the edges, but another fragment remained at the bottom of the message. The princess and her brothers are gone from the palace. I will meet you and the wolf, as agreed, to discuss our next course of action. A shiver raced down my spine. Who is the wolf, and what did he want with my brothers and me? I put the letter back. Between the blocks of wood, certain I had come across some dark scheme to hurt my father and Kiata. Could that be why Rekama had cursed my brothers and me? To strip my father of his defenses and leave the kingdom vulnerable to attack? What was this sentinel doing with such a message? The lanterns trembled. At first I thought it was Kiki, returning from her daily search for my brothers. But then I heard footsteps tromping up the stairs. I jumped. After throwing the scroll back into the knapsack and quickly blowing out the lantern light, I rushed for the door, but it was too late. The cold sting of a blade knit my neck. I froze, recognizing, recognizing the sentinel's lean silhouette against the wall. You, he said, a note of surprise in his voice. He took a harsher tone. Turn around slowly. My heart thundered in my ears while I obeyed. If he was a real sentinel, the sword at his side would be sharp enough to cut through bone, and he would be well within his rights to kill me. He scooped up the scroll, noticing straight away that someone had tampered with the cord and shook it at me. What were you doing with this? I met his gaze stonily, my lips thin and closed. I won't ask again. I pointed at my throat, indicating that I couldn't speak. Then I extended my hand, palm out, to explain that I had been looking for money. I made ocean waves, money to leave the island. The sentinel lowered the dagger, understanding. I saw the innkeeper strike you. Is that why you wish to leave? All I did was dip my head. He was observant, this one. I leaned, learned to be too, through my silence. I see. He tucked the scroll back into his knapsack. It's a good thing I caught you, he said sternly, but the edge in his tone had been sanded off. Carrying this around would only get you killed. I tilted my head. Why is that? What does it say? For someone who can't talk, you have quite a way of making your thoughts known. The sentinel closed his knapsack. My business is my own, and none of yours. I studied him despite his harsh tone. I wasn't afraid of him. He could have killed me just now for going through his things, but he hadn't. That was enough for me to deduce that the letter wasn't intended for his eyes. He told Mrs. Danon he was looking for the royal children. He must have stumbled upon it during his search. A dozen questions burned on my tongue. I wanted to ask him for news of home and my father. I wanted to demand that he tell me everything he knew, but first I needed to tell him who I was. All of me shook, delirious with elation. As I started to write my name on my palm, miracles of Ashmew, Ashmewin, finally someone had come who could read. Then invisible snakes hissed in my ears. Remember, they warned, no one shall know you. I stilled, the bowl on my head heavy as stone. Even this far from home, Raycomma's curse ensnared me. The hissing stopped as the sentinel took off his helmet. His dark hair, tangled and unkept, curled at his ears, and a stray lock fell over the peak in his hairline. It made him look less menacing, like a less like a hardened warrior and more like a weary traveler in need of a wash and a shave. He looked up. Still here? Any other thief would have fled by now. A pause. I take it you're not much of a burglar if you have the audacity to rob a sentinel your first time? I hadn't meant to answer, but my hand shot up, two fingers raised. Second time, then. The corner of his mouth lifted, almost into a smile. You're honest. Not like your mistress. I wasn't. My brothers had once called me the Princess of Liars, but I suppose I had changed over the past months. So much had changed. Mrs. Danon called you Lena. Is that your name? I hesitated. 
shook my head. I didn't think so. It's pretty, but somehow it doesn't suit you. I waited for him to explain what he meant, but he didn't. What is your name? At the question, I pursed my lips. My fingers made the final stroke, the first stroke of my name before I thought better of it. Don't want to tell me? That's all right. His voice had become gentle, almost pleasant. There was a certain musicality to it, every word clear and unhurried. Unusual for a sentinel, the ones I'd met in the palace were always gruff, more expressive with their swords than with their words. Then again, what other sentinels did I know who carried around a sketchbook and read poetry? A silver coin appeared between his knuckles. Here, take this. Make good use of it. My eyes flew up. It was more than enough to get me south to find my brothers. I grasped at it, but the sentinel held it out of reach. Wait until after breakfast before you leave, he said as if extracting a promise. My shoulders tensed and my face went blank. Why? Better to begin a journey on a full stomach than an empty one. I'm speaking for myself and for you. I pointed outside. You're leaving too? Tomorrow morning, he confirmed. My mission has been something of a failure, but your soup was an unexpected comfort. I swear there must have been magic in your pot. Today was the first time I can remember actually enjoying radishes. Humor twinkled in his earthy eyes. I would like very much to try them again and make sure it wasn't a fluke. I couldn't stop myself from returning his grin. What a silly young man. Disliking radishes so much, he worried my soup might be a fluke. Just thinking about it made me laugh in my head. Very well, one more breakfast couldn't hurt. But afterward, I too would be off to find my brothers and break our curse. Once the coin was in my hand, I fled his room, forgetting my mop and bucket. Excitement bubbled in my chest, and I could hardly keep myself from skipping to my room. Maybe, just maybe, my luck was starting to turn.